This is Shiro's, a podcast with a mission to turn up the volume of women's voices in music across genres and generations. I'm Carmel Holt, and what you're about to hear is a previously aired interview from my syndicated public radio show, Shiro's Radio. Shiro's is a deep dive into the experiences and perspectives of women and gender expansive folks in a still overwhelmingly male dominated music industry. It's a space where we discuss challenges and triumphs, how far we've come and how far we still have to go. Telling our stories is the first step to making music better for everyone. My guest this week is a multi-instrumentalist, composer, singer, songwriter, and producer from South London who began playing piano at age three, followed by cello at age 10. Before striking out on her own, Lucinda Chua's journey as a musician began to veer away from classical music when she joined a local post-rock band in her teens. And while majoring in photography at university, she began learning production and recording her own demos, laying the groundwork for her musical path. This led to co-founding the post-rock chamber pop duo Felix, who released two albums between 2009 and 2012. And during that time, she also worked as a touring member of the ambient drone band Stars of the Lid. After Felix broke up, Lucinda continued as a collaborator with various artists while working on her own music and in March 2019 released her debut EP, Antidotes One. Soon after, she went out on the road with FKA Twigs for her Magdalene tour as part of her live band. And while the pandemic ended that tour prematurely in 2020, that year proved to be a turning point. She signed to 4AD, scored a film, and in 2021 released the EP Antidotes 2, followed by the double EP release Antidotes. And now Lucinda Chua has returned with what is her most fully realized personal collection to date, a stunning self-produced and self-engineered full-length debut album called Yen. And she joins us now as this week's Shiro in the spotlight. Lucinda Chua, welcome to Shiro's Radio. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you for having me. I have been absolutely in love with your music and this debut album, Yen. It is gorgeous. Oh, thanks. Must feel really good to finally have a full-length album out in the world. It's still a bit surreal at the moment. I think I'm still processing the fact that it's out, but it definitely feels like a release in every sense of the word. Yeah. Can you expand on that? I guess like before putting out records, I would hear people talk about releasing music and I maybe didn't fully understand how that means more than just putting music out into the world and making something public. It's kind of like a letting go of something that you've been nurturing and carrying around with you for sometimes like a really long time. And so it definitely feels like an emotional release as well as like a industry release, if that makes sense. It makes so much sense. And as I understand it, this collection is thematic and is really a lifetime's worth in some ways of emotional content. I guess that's the debut solo album, right? Yeah. It's kind of like you've had your whole life to gather ideas and grow and you make a record, but it's also kind of saying like, hi, this is me. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Well, what is this introduction telling us about you? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think in this record, it's kind of a feeling of returning to myself. And as I've done interviews and promos, it's made me think about it through a different lens with a bit more distance rather than being inside it. But I guess it's like your sense of identity that you have when you're a child 
feels so pure that I felt like I learned a bunch of stuff that undid a lot of that confidence in my identity and who I was. And I think making this album has been a lot of unlearning and stripping back layers and returning to who I am on the inside, acquiring more knowledge. We think that we're wiser and that we know more, but sometimes being a scholar of something, you're like losing that intuitive joy of being a beginner. And definitely with this record, I was going through a personal returning to understand and embrace my Asian heritage and really trying to actively decolonize my thinking in order to be able to center myself and trying to create environments and spaces where I felt centered. I had the confidence to show my authentic self or to be honest that I had the confidence to even explore and interrogate what my authentic self is, I think. So it was a real like learning or like returning process in in trying to get back to a kernel of truth that is something that feels part of me rather than something I've learned to mimic or to assimilate. Yeah, and it took a lot of work to return back to that state. And I think it's something that I will need to continue to practice. But yeah, just carving out space where I felt confident to be me. That makes so much sense. And once you did that, I'm going to make the leap that it worked by creating those spaces for yourself. I definitely felt like by creating those spaces, I noticed different parts of myself emerging. And I was just really inquisitive to explore that with a really open mind. And I'm I'm sure connecting back to your show, uh, Women and Non-Binary People in Music, the studio is a prime example of a space that's often very dominated by cis white men. And a lot of people have asked me, oh, why did you choose to engineer and produce your record? And I think really the question, my comment is that I couldn't have made this record had I not engineered and produced it myself because I just needed that space to be free, to let go and to not be afraid of making mistakes or doing it wrong or being watched or feeling judged and just a real freedom to make sound and to not edit myself because I felt like someone was watching me or perceiving me. I think it started with that space from a music creation studio bubble (laughs) and as I finished the record and then went into creating the visuals, that space got bigger and um, I invited more people in. I would love to go to music here. Why don't you choose a song that you feel particularly proud of from the production and engineering standpoint? And maybe take us into the room too. paint a picture for us in the studio of what you'd created. Okay, so this is the last song that I wrote for the record. And I found it rewarding because it came together quite quickly. I was in the basement studio at 4AD and it was at a time after the restrictions in London for the pandemic had lifted, but a lot of people were still working from home. So there was no one in the building and it was late at night. And I had the keys to the studio and I was in there by myself playing on the piano. And it just sort of flowed out of me in a very intuitive sort of fever dream. Songs called An Ocean. You think we're one and the same. I thought it over again. 
that's an ocean and it falls right in the middle of the full-length debut album from Lucinda Chua. She is our guest today on Shiro's and the debut album is titled Yen. Can you translate Yen? It's spelled Y-I-A-N and this is a Chinese word? Yes, it is. And Yen is part of my Chinese name, which is Su Yen which my parents gave me, I guess, to preserve a cultural link to my ancestral Chinese heritage. But neither of my parents spoke Mandarin. My mum is English and my dad is Chinese Malay, but he grew up in a time in Malaysia where it wasn't possible for him to learn Chinese because it was after the British colonization of Malaysia. And so he went to a school that taught English rather than going to a Chinese school. So he didn't have his own mother tongue. And Yen was also the name of my... Chinese Malaysian grandmother that got passed down to me. But in not writing or speaking Mandarin, my parents had to guess how to spell it. And so they created the phonetic spelling in English. So I guess it's kind of like a diaspora name. For example, like if you lived in China and were fluent in Mandarin, it wouldn't make sense. But I guess for me, it makes sense because it's an authentic part of who I am. And lacking that mother tongue and being able to speak Chinese, I sometimes felt incomplete or like I wasn't authentic in my cultural identity. And I think embracing Yen in its strange phonetic spelling, this diaspora name that my parents created for me, it's actually the most authentic part of me, you know? (laughs) And It translates in Mandarin as being the swallow, the songbird that migrates between two places. And that really resonated with me as someone who's grown up with Eastern and Western family and always feeling between both and belonging to neither and also belonging everywhere at the same time. And this feeling of migration and always being in flight. That's beautiful. I wanted to dive into your musical background. What was surrounding you as a kid in your formative years? I definitely grew up listening to a lot of classical music. My dad was a really big fan of like Bach and Rachmaninoff and Chopin on the piano. And I started piano from a very early age. I think I started when I was three, just before my fourth birthday. But I learned piano via the Suzuki method, which is like a Japanese technique where you learn to play by ear rather than by reading sheet music. And the kind of philosophy behind Suzuki method is that all children have the potential to have a colourful musical practice. It's not about being born with superstar DNA. It's kind of about like creating a space where you can nurture music as if it were a language and there's a lot of emphasis put on sharing music with each other performing for each other playing together and I think it was a really lovely introduction to music because it was very outside of the western classical grade system which I know can be quite pass or fail or having to sit exams or there being a very singular approach to what music could be I feel like with Suzuki you'd learn repertoire that would be chaptered into books and then to celebrate completing the book by learning all of the pieces, you would perform a recital to other students and that would be the celebration rather than it being like you go into an exam and an examiner scrutinises you and gives you like a mark or a grade. So yeah, I think that's very in my musical DNA and I think learning music from such a young age, it's 
part of the fabric of who I am. It's another language to me, you know. I often feel like when there are things that I can't necessarily like express or I'm not eloquent in English to be able to describe how I'm feeling, music is another way to share that. And then you evolved from piano to the cello. Where did cello come into play for you? No pun intended. So I was like maybe five or six years old. Mm -hmm. And I remember being with my family in Covent Garden in London. And there was a string quartet that was busking. And they were playing Paco Bell's Canon. And I just remember hearing the cello and instantly being obsessed. And begging my parents to let me quit piano so I could play the cello instead. And they were really hesitant because I think they were worried that if I took up a second instrument, I would quit it. And it's a big financial commitment to like buy an instrument or to commit to lessons. And so they kind of struck a deal with me that if I continued practicing the piano every day until I was 10, then I would be allowed to take up a second instrument. And so on my 10th birthday, they took me to a rental shop. And I think at the time I was too small to have a full size cello. So I think I started with a three quarter size cello and cello felt special because it was an instrument that I chose for myself rather than piano, which is something that has just always been there. It's been interesting to talk to women about their journeys with music. And we talk a lot about how instruments are, it's becoming less this way, but they're still gendered. And a lot of times I'll hear guests on my show talk about how their first instrument was the piano. It's very, very common. And how rebelling looked like getting a guitar, you know, or playing the drums Mm. or playing the bass. I've also heard that songwriting was hard to do when it was in the context of like piano lessons or whatever, but then they would revisit it later and find that that opened up to them. So I was curious about your relationship to instruments and gender and also for a songwriting tool. That is really interesting. And I wonder where that comes from, you know, the gendering of the orchestra, because definitely like certain instruments like the flute are more popular with women. But then when it comes to like big, brass instruments or timpani drums and that's just made up you know exactly it's just not true I mean I always connected with the bass frequencies I think in music both classical music and contemporary music I often feel like the bass is what leads the emotion like the clues are always in the bass and it was probably less about gender because I feel like I had quite a gender neutral upbringing. I was very encouraged to express rather than to play with dolls or play with cars. I think my parents just wanted me to be an independent thinker and and to find a creative outlet or a way to express myself. And there wasn't really that pressure of gender expression. But I think it was more that cello was my choice. So beyond gender, it was more like getting to choose an identity rather than inheriting an identity. Yeah. That's what felt magical about the second instrument. Did any of those messages come to you later across the board in music? What your role should or could be as a composer, as a producer, as a songwriter, as a vocalist? It sounds like you were so supported growing up. If there was any of that messaging coming through, that there may have been a little bit of dissonance there between what you're used to and what the world at large was telling you. 
definitely when it came to production and engineering and the studio and anything technical where there was a lot of gear, I think I had confidence as an instrumentalist. No one could deny that because it was me with the cello or it was me with the piano, it was me with my voice. It was coming from me in real time. But I think in terms of access to capturing that performance, definitely in my teens and in my 20s, that space was predominantly gatekept by men. And even when I started releasing music, the assumption often was that I was the performer, but not the author of the work. And at first I found that really upsetting because no one asked me, they just assumed. But then I think I tried to reframe it in a way of, well, how can I show what I do so that there is absolutely no question that it's coming from me? And I think a big part of that was performing live and performing live in a like one person show and performing with cello run through effects pedals where I was like manipulating the sound, where I was looping the sound. It was undeniable that it was me creating this sound because I would build it in real time. And then I didn't have to talk about it anymore because I'd shown it. And I think that kind of led into the philosophy of antidotes, which is the double EP, the two EPs that I released before this album, Yen. I'd felt so frustrated and so boxed in by people's assumptions, but I didn't want to give any airtime to the problem. I wanted to create a solution. Yeah. And so I think in focusing my energy on being, I didn't have to burn energy on complaining or even having to like address it because it was just evident that it was me. And that felt incredibly empowering. Of course, then I realized that no one knows how to use all the gear, (laughs) you know, and that the studio is just another instrument. And if you can teach yourself to play the piano, then you can teach yourself to use the studio. It's a practice in the same way that you can learn how to type on a computer keyboard. It just takes practice. And a lot of that is having access to the tools. But I do think Maybe less so now, but definitely when I was starting out, there was a big gender gap between who had access to the tools. And often when the tools were gatekept, it, yeah, I guess maybe those guys just needed a job and (laughs) they didn't want to have to share, you know? But definitely investing in myself as an engineer and a producer, that knowledge will be with me forever. And so it just felt like a no-brainer to upskill so that I could have the agency and the autonomy to follow the creativity rather than asking for permission to create. Hell yeah to that. We have Lucinda Chua here with us on Shira's Radio. The full-length debut album is titled Yen. Why don't you take us to another song here? Ooh, maybe we should play Echo. The visuals for this too, just so gorgeous. And your movement, your dance. Talk to us about how the visuals and how movement also intersects with the music. I guess when it came to the creative side of working on the artwork and the videos for Yen, it was just a really special moment where I got to invite people into the project. Because I think 
bar a few like close friends who are collaborators on the album. Making the music for the album was quite like a introspective solo mission. And at times that was quite lonely. But when it came to doing something like a music video, it was so exciting to get to work with other people and to get to challenge myself. And after I came off tour with FKA Twigs for Magdalene, I just wanted to dance because being around a team of dancers all day, every day, and just seeing the joy of how they use their bodies as instruments, I just wanted to be able to do that. And so I took lots of different dance classes, but last year, in the new year, I took up Chinese classical dance, specializing in fan dance. And I guess like coming back to what we were talking before about language, even though I don't speak Mandarin, it felt very affirming to embody certain poses or physically and somatically embody the shapes and movements of my ancestors. It was a really special learning experience. And it was something that I didn't go into studying thinking, oh, I'll make this into a music video. But I guess it just got to the point where I was like, I love this so much and I want to train even more. And then having the framework of making a music video gave me the impetus to really go hardcore on the training. And it helped me understand the song in a different way, I think. Mm. Like when I was working with my friend Chantal Fu on the choreography, we were thinking a lot about drawing a line between the past and the future and this respect for the ancestral past that can also feel like a pressure, you know, that maybe confines you. And then in the video, you can see my hands being pulled backwards to the past and I'm trying to move with the fan to like slice into the future to carve out a new path. But yeah, definitely helped me find a new appreciation and concept in the song. Couldn't be anyone else I look to you, I see my love I won't I won't Be your echo Echo, another gorgeous track from the full-length debut by Lucinda Chua. She is our guest today on Shiro's Radio, and the album is titled Yen. I'm just thinking about the video again and watching you move, and I was thinking while you were talking about how that allowed you to get into the song in a different way, I also thought about the freedom of that when you are a cellist or you're even playing the piano. It's difficult to move. It really is, yeah. So it kind of gave you this opportunity this freedom to be unencumbered by an instrument. For sure. And I also think sometimes I'm afraid to take up space. Mm. And maybe that's something that like your listeners can relate to. But you know, it's like not wanting to be too loud or not wanting to be unagreeable or finding the space and then creating my own form that will neatly fit into the space that's available rather than just like owning space and moving through space with ease and confidence. And I think that's something that dance has really helped me with. Beyond dancing, I think it's helped me in my life. 
to be confident within my body and not to be afraid to own space. Oh man, my mind is kind of blown by what you just said. And this is piggybacking on a conversation that I just had with the indie rock artist Blonde Shell. She was talking about the challenges for women to take up space, relating to it through the lens of body image. And this was another kind of new angle that I'd never thought about before. But she was saying that she felt when she was coming up in music, this pressure to look a certain way and to be thinner, mostly, and to be attractive and that all of the messaging that she had absorbed over time had told her internalized, not that anyone was saying this to her, but that she needed to look a certain way, be attractive, be hot, be thin. And she feels like a way of controlling women's bodies and controlling women is hidden in that, like to literally make us smaller and smaller so we're taking up less space. I relate to everything you said, but then coming to that as a person of color, you know, like I have race. Yes. I have a massive pressure to assimilate to whiteness. Whiteness is more accessible or sells more or is accepted more. And I feel like as someone who's part of the global majority, but in the country that I live in where I was born, I am a minority. It's like an enormous pressure beyond being a woman, pressure to assimilate to whiteness or to like white standards and... I think that's why it takes so much unlearning, you know, to be like, no, I accept myself as I am. I'm proud of who I am and I'm not going to erase myself in order to assimilate from speaking with more people from the diaspora. It's very common to feel it from both sides, not just from society as a white majority, feeling pressure to kind of conform or assimilate but equally from a perspective of family where it's like don't be too loud you know don't make yourself a target be successful but don't be the most successful you know like be kind to people be generous be supportive there are just so many contradictions within my experience you know where it really is like where is the space for me even with the Echo video, working with Chantal, we spoke a lot about the queering of the fan. Because obviously within Chinese culture, the Chinese fan dances, there's a certain classical type of Chinese beauty. And um, we wanted to like create new language that used the fan and respected the history of the fan. But we wanted to queer the fan and almost like reclaim it in the same way that I feel like I hack the cello and its sound. It's a classical instrument. It comes from Western, like European classical music. It has roots in colonial history. You know, it's part of that era. But it's like, how can I take that voice and distort it and manipulate it and run it through pedals and use it to say something that I'm feeling, even if I don't relate to the semiotics of its history. Yeah, it takes, it's a lot of work. <laughs> I was just going to say, it's so much work. It's inspiring to hear you speak about all of this. And I want to thank you. I think it's just vital that these things get airtime because I feel like when I was growing up, there were no role models talking about this type of stuff within the world I had access to. And that's not to say there isn't a deeply rich cultural canon around like race theory and feminist discourse, queer discourse, but I don't know. I, I look back to the solo artists that were available to me or like the actors 
on TV or in the cinema that were available to me, the stories that were being told. And I don't know, I, I kind of wish that there'd have been someone there to let me know that it was okay, you know, to be different. I think I just needed permission to be me. A hundred percent. And the good news is that now you are creating a new blueprint for others, which is huge. I know it feels also like a big burden too, but also it's a really big gift. I don't think I could sit with myself being given the opportunity to put out an album and to not do something that felt like it was a values-driven project, you know, like it just felt very vital. I relate to that. And thank you so much, Lucinda Chua. It's been amazing to spend this time with you. What should we go out with today? I think we have to go out with Golden. This is a song written from the perspective of my younger self. I don't look like you When the sunlight hits me With thanks once again to Lucinda Chua. Thank you so much for being with us on Shiro's. Thank you. I'm cold. Many thanks once again to Lucinda Chua for being with us. Her full-length debut, Yen, is available now on 4AD. She Rose is produced by me, is mixed and mastered by Kelly Drake. Our original theme music is by Lucius. She Rose is also a nationally syndicated radio show. You can visit SheRoseRadio.com to find out more and support our work with Patreon or merch from the She Rose shop. Keep in touch on Instagram and Twitter. I'm at Carmel Holt or find us at She Rose Radio. And please consider leaving us a rating and review you wherever you listen to your podcasts that helps us grow and bring you more Shiro's. Until next time, remember, music is our superpower. I'm Carmel Holt. Thanks for listening.